Thank you for your, your singing, for your attendance today, and uh, thank you for your mission support. Um, I made a quick trip down to South Carolina, as some of you know, and uh, not only our missionaries appreciate this church family and its support, but the home office does. We had kind of a mutual appreciation where I was thanking people for their sending out statements and keeping up with letters and office work and so many who serve behind the scenes. Uh, But uh, they were appreciative of the testimony of this church over the years and the giving. And uh, it was good to make connections and just to be reminded that uh, we have a missions organization that is staying on task and is giving God all the glory. All right, let's have a word of prayer here this morning together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us uh, in your name. Lord, all around us are lost souls and lukewarm churches, and we want a true relationship with you that thirsts for truth and obeys your commandments. We want that first love, that core commitment that doesn't settle for part-time Christianity. We repent of any neither hot nor cold type of empty profession that has been shown. We want to know you this morning, Lord, not just facts about you. We don't want to settle for verses that we know about you, but we want to know you. Set our hearts to a setting of being on fire. Disciples that make disciples who will be set on making other disciples. All of this is part of that commandment that was given to the church from the beginning. Help us be a spirit-filled, gospel-centered church that exists to show people, the one and only Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The back of your bulletin is the the outline. You look at that and it might remind you uh, what has been covered in weeks past. And you say, wait a minute, it took you three weeks to cover five verses in the Bible? Yes, and I apologize for going so fast (laughs) because there's so much more that could be said and said better. Yet this is a critical thing that we study and that we know and that we show. Amen. Uh, Jesus told of a coming cross that he would bear. And then he gave a lesson on the heels of that to, to disciples, what it means to be disciples, what it requires to be a disciple what to share as you are making disciples of others. And I remind you, the Lord is not calling his 12 to some, some type of a, a higher discipleship. I'm calling you to the next level of this multi-marketing thing that I'm, I'm building. No, no, he's, he's instructing them and all of us as to what is involved in following Christ. I hope I don't tell you anything new today. If I do, please be alarmed. (laughs) But I hope that I remind us of what we know to be true 
and yet need to hear anyway, week after week. Really, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, it's a study on discipleship. It's a study on Christ, who he is, and what he is requiring of us. There have been some pretty slick commercials over the last couple years that the bottom line of it is Jesus gets us. And other attempts to kind of contextualize the gospel. Listen, when Jesus is watered down, the gospel gets drowned out. Jesus left nothing out. It wasn't that the disciples had to come along and say, well, now Jesus forgot to, or he was a little bashful, or he didn't want to tell you this. But in the small print, no, the Lord made it clear up front and was very direct about this. Jesus was calling unbelievers to become believers. And he was calling believers to be deeply committed wide-eyed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Which category are you in this morning as you come here? You say, I know some things, but I don't know Christ. I, I, I've not come to a point where I've, I'm curious, I'm interested, I know some things, but I have not put my faith in Christ. We pray for you week after week that this will be the day of your salvation. You say, I, I know Christ. Uh, a year ago, a uh, hundred years ago, uh, I put my faith in Christ. But you know what? I'm here because I need to grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever had anybody come and tell you, I, I'm a Christian, but not like you, or I have a friend who's a Christian, but not like you. Are they trying to say that you're in a special class? No, that's, that's probably not what they're trying to say. They're, they're probably trying to justify what is sometimes a gospel light. No sacrifice, pick and choose type of adherent. And there are individuals who look at that passage that we studied earlier in the gospel, Mark, about the sower and the seed, and they say, well, this, is, this tells us that you can be a a carnal Christian. You can be a Christian, but just not really living for Christ. That's not what that passage showed. There's one type of heart. There's one type of person that is receptive and the Lord and receives and bears fruit to the glory of God. Christianity is not a multi-tiered plan where you can kind of pick your plan. Some of you, not me, but some of you are getting close enough to uh, a Medicare age where you have to kind of pick a plan. And, uh, and there's pressure on that. And you say, oh, I've got to choose wisely here. Okay? But this is not, Christianity is not, did I get into the right plan? You know, I picked the plan where I can only pick up my Bible on Sunday. I, I witnessed two or three times the rest of my life, and, uh, it, but I'm in. But I respect those who study the word of God every day and, and try to make a strong witness every day. It's, um, it's a self-denial. 
It's an identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ, in this passage in our text, continues to describe what discipleship looks like in any age, in any culture. We're not looking at something saying, well, that was amazing how disciples laid down their life, how the church acted sacrificially, but that was easy back then. Was it really? Under Rome? They wouldn't understand the pressures that I'm under. And I'm sure they're real. But it has never been easy to be a true on-fire follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, I get uncomfortable when I come to church and you're, you're pushing us to grow and love Christ and speak of him more. Listen, keep coming. We'll keep making you uncomfortable week after week. Because that's really what the gospel is all about, isn't it? So we come to this next point, point C, the devotion that marks the true disciple. If you're not there already, please turn with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And I will reread this text for the continuity of it and the context beginning at verse 34. Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and the holy angels. In the outline, in the bulletin say that we go on to chapter 9, verse 1. I'm going to actually save that for next week. That becomes kind of a bridge text. And I've been praying and preparing and studying for this text about the transfiguration. I'm already in a transfiguration state of mind. And I'm going back to chapter 8. And in cha chapter 9, verse 1 will be a bridge text that we'll save for next week. But the Lord left nothing out. Paul, at times, encouraged churches that were broken down. And sometimes he had to correct churches that felt pretty good about themselves. Corinth was a church that had open sin going on, but they weren't addressing it. And he had to say, put out that individual. Deal with that sin before I come. And all too often, not just incorrect doctrine, but incorrect living seem to go together. And they send a wrong message about Jesus Christ and what it means to be his disciple. John records in the book of Revelation that the Lord was writing to no correcting, upbraiding some churches. And he says to Laodicea, they, uh, they were apparently ignorant or 
willfully so, of the fact that they were wretched and pitiable and poor and blind and naked. They thought that they were rich and increased with goods. And he says, let me tell you how God sees you. The Lord says, let me tell you how I see you. We come to be pretty much undressed by the word of God before God and say, Lord, what, what am I? Where, where do I stand? What do I need? And among the majority of professing Christians, there are, we're seeing uh, uh, so many whose lives seem to be untouched, unmolested by the word of God, very disconnected to what Jesus said. And we come to the word and to church today to open the word and to be rebuked and to be encouraged and to be instructed and saying, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ in 2024? I want no more or certainly no less. So in your blank underneath that, number one, put it's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. We read that in verses 34 through 37 about losing and what does it profit a man and what do you give in return for your soul? Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Let me say that again. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Listen, billions of people over the last 2,000 years have been curiously interested in Christ, but not ready to follow him. They dabble in the Sermon on the Mount. They've read through parts of the New Testament. They want to know about some of these things, but they have never been fused to him by faith. That's what we're calling for. That's what we're describing here today. Many of those who even were following Jesus, where is he going? He's in this city. He was cited where? I'm going there. They were not fused to him in faith. They were looking for the next miracle, the next meal, the wow factor. But they were not ready to engage their sin. They were not ready to call him Lord. They were not ready to leave all and follow him. There are a lot of professors that are ready to accept Jesus, but on their terms. And I would tell you, as we study this passage in Mark 8, this is nothing new. This was an ancient problem and is a modern problem. I read an article this week that said this, self-denial is nauseating to the self-centered. Self-denial is nauseating to the self-centered. And I would remind you, as I probably said something like this last week, that self-denial is not giving up meat for a while. It is losing oneself in the Lord for a lifetime. This uh, made me think how that 
there are elements of our society that can be committed to anything but the Lord Jesus Christ. They might have a license plate frame that tell you a baseball team they pull for. Oh yeah, I have one of those too. They may, have, they may have a flag outside in front of their house that tell you how committed they are to the Buckeyes. They may say, I, I am so committed that I, uh, I've taken a vow of poverty. Wow. But Christ demanded allegiance. And the terms that he put this in, go back this afternoon and read John chapter 6, verses 53 through 57, when he talks about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. Listen, that was disturbing. You say, it's kind of nauseating now. It was arresting for Jesus to say, none of this, I'm kind of hanging on to one finger of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christianity. You need to put your faith in me and it's all or nothing. We have people that they can be committed to saving the whales. What are you doing? Well, I get my eight ninety five a month. You know, it's taken out of my account to save the whales. Or I save the planet. But they can't be called on. It would be crazy. It would be radical. It would be unreasonable to ask them, follow Jesus. Invest your life in him be ready to receive whatever comes to follow Christ whatever sacrifice to follow Christ we want deliverance we have people that want deliverance from poverty they come to the church all the time <laughs> we want people that want deliverance from sickness what they don't want is the substitutionary atonement they don't want to be reminded of their sin. And we need to share with people how to be saved from God's just wrath. Romans 3.20 and following. We need to remind people how to be saved from the grip of sin in Romans 6 and other passages. The lost today to being a disciple, a Mark 8 follower of Christ means that we point people to the narrow way. You're on the broad path. It's popular. You're safe. It's comfortable. And what we're calling you to in, in this gospel is a narrow, uphill following of Christ. A cross-filled life is always going to be an unpopular life. When the church gets too comfortable in its society, there's problems coming. It's about to change. The, the gospel that he calls us to is not a prosperity-rich existence. It is a sacrifice-ready life. He says, deny yourself. Be ready to do anything for the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, what does it mean to be a follower? It means to be all in. The value of life in Christ is everything. You say, no sacrifice will dislodge me 
from the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. I, I want us to look at one verse there. In fact, I'll give you a good incentive to turn there. We're going to read it out loud. So unless you have it memorized, turn to Philippians chapter 3. As you're turning to verse 10, I'll read to you verse 9. And be found in him not having a righteousness of mine own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let's read verse 10 aloud. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Becoming like him in his death. Do you know that um, in Acts chapter, those early chapters, there's a lot of persecution that starts chapter 3 and it seems to ramp up and get pretty hot through chapter 8. And Saul seems to be at the center of this. And then in chapter 9, it is the Lord who seeks him out and arrests him and saves him. And then the Lord tells Ananias, go to, go to Saul. Tell him the message that I'm going to give you. And Ananias informs the Lord that uh, this Saul has done great evil to the saints in Jerusalem. And the Lord says, I'm asking you to give this, you tell Saul, who's becoming Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. On the back wall of our church is part of a mission statement, says, for the sake of his name. We're in a culture that encourages you, promote your name, get your name on a plaque, get your name on a building, have people remember who you are, have a lot of people come and, and in the honor of your name and memory when you die. And the Bible says, live an anonymous life. The brighter the light, D.L. Moody used to say, the, the more people remark about the lamp. I don't want people to remember me, but Christ. Charles Haddon Spurgeon used to say, if you come to this church and... And you leave saying, what a preacher. I have failed. But if you come and you say, what a Lord, then we have succeeded. Christianity doesn't have a trial period where you can opt out. Say, so, you know, I, I, I tried it for three months, three years, 30 years. I, it just did, it didn't work for me. That's the terminology of our culture. But it it gets demanding. There's not a period where I've changed my mind. No, my mind has been brought into conformity to Christ. I'm losing myself. Say, the longer I'm a Christian, I kind of forget about myself and who I am and what I. It's all about Christ. That's what it means to grow in Him. There are too many who are like those that Christ described in the text that we read from Luke chapter 14, that don't consider the cost of a building, that don't think of what it means to lay down their life, that 
that don't consider what it means to be a Christ. We live in a culture that demands a softer Jesus and a wider gospel. There must be some way that people can be saved without Jesus. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 says the opposite. There's only one way through the Lord Jesus Christ and through his name. I'm going to tell you what you already know. Giving up your rights in a, in a sense to Christ in a countercultural society is counterintuitive, but it's Christ-like. Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He laid down his life. Self-preservation. Self-promotion. Looking out for number one. That comes easy. We are spoon-fed from our earliest days in cartoons and Disney and a lot of sermons, I'm afraid. Your best life now. Religions promote self-denial at times, but this self-denial is obeying Christ for the rest of my life. And putting Christ front and center is really the wisest, best use of your life for the rest of your life. What could you do? Who could you serve that would fulfill you any better and the answer is nothing you were made by him with a purpose to glorify God in your body and when you say I am committed to Christ what I read today I want to show this afternoon and I want to proclaim that Christ liveth in me you will never be more fulfilled and satisfied than that sometimes we we have learned Maybe a lifetime. Worldliness is this subjective list. Worldliness is abnegation of this, is not doing this, is, is not having my hair too long or my skirt too short or whatever, whatever else you want to put in that list. I'm not trying to offend. But we can make lists and we can have subjective things. That's worldliness. You know what worldliness is in one word? Well, hyphenated expression. self centeredness it may show itself in rebellion it may show itself in immodesty hey look at me hey affirm what I have decided I am it can be a lot of things like that but no search for meaning in life is ever going to be Fulfilling. When you come to the cross, there's your purpose in life. You may still walk into a room and say, why did I come in here? That happens to all of us. But as a Christian, you will say, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day. I know who I belong to One who was carrying a cross. We have a, a decent cross on the wall behind me. Carrying a cross was never meant to be, as I've said before, a fashion statement. 
It was part of a death march. It was a part of being contemptible. I was reading just this morning how a few years ago, a man by the name of A.C. Burleson uh, decided that he had, he called it an epiphany to make a cross and carry that cross. Okay, 2,000 miles. He started from South Carolina and worked his way to the Grand Canyon. I don't know why you stop at the Grand Canyon. You just go around the world if you're going to do that. But I guess he did some street preaching on the way. Is that what Christ meant, though, by taking up your cross? It is a commitment of life to declare Christ in our decisions, in our values. The disciples... True disciples follow with a full understanding of what it means to live for Christ and be hated for it. Now, some people in this room might say, well, I'm ready to follow Christ, but, you know, I've got possessions. And I don't want to give up my collection of this knick-knack or uh, nice house or whatever else. To, to, I'm afraid if I live for Christ... He may call me someplace and I have to leave all that behind. That's possible. And others say, you know what? I'm not attached to my things. But if we dug around a little bit more with a stick in your heart, you might say, all right, that hurts. When you, when you get to where what people say about me. See, I like to be respected. I like to be appreciated. And, and if it means following Christ means that people are going to say, bad things about me. I don't know if I can handle that. You cannot be his disciple. We are to start with and end with Christ. Christ alone. We live for Christ. Christianity was never about having your best life now. Christianity was never about fitting in. It was about standing out. It's not about blending in. It's about proclaiming out. Jesus paid the ultimate price at the cross for our redemption. And he expects us as his followers to accept the sacrifice of discipleship on a daily basis. In, in short phrase, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I die what? Daily. I thought I was over this. I thought I gave up that, that habit, this problem, this sin. I'm still battling it with it. I die daily. I have an attachment to things. I thought that I, I could give that up. I have an I die daily. So, it's all or nothing. We come to a curious expression in verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels? Let's put it this way. It's now or never. It's now or never. In this sinful generation, that's prophet speak. That's prophet language from the Old Testament. Okay? It tells us that we must receive Christ, that we must proclaim Christ now. 
Christianity and being a disciple is not something I put off. Boldness to live for Christ and speak for Him is not something that someday I'll do that. It's today. I purpose to do that. When He comes in the glory of His Father, here Jesus Christ takes up the language of His second coming. He introduces this. Not all the eschatology was sorted out by the disciples, let's be honest. But He will bring about the consummation of all things. And can I put here a shameless plug for the afternoon service when we talk from Obadiah about the day of the Lord. Join us for that too. But is Christ coming? That was pretty weak, but I I believe it. Is Christ coming back? Is he snatching the church to himself? Is he coming back to set foot on this earth? That future reality should impact my present living today. If I say, I believe Jesus is coming, what difference, Hamilton, did it make in your living today? not, Not at all. Jesus will judge each person according to his deeds, Romans 2, verses 5 through 8. In the presence of the judge, he will sort out the balance of the accounts. You're saying that works save? Works have never saved. It is only through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a value in this praxis, the outliving the actions, the course of life that tell us apart. And I'm, I'm telling you that there are too many people that are gathering together that their life and, and communally, even their church, is precious little different than the world. And the Christian should stand out, should be with a bright light. Can you give us a list? I dare not give you a list. I just preached against that. But everyone should be in the word and studying, saying, Lord, does this honor you or not? What is my motivation in this? The Spirit proves that we are redeemed by the fruit, redeemed by Christ. And then there is the Holy Spirit who produces fruit through us. And Ephesians 2.10 says that we are the workmanship of Christ. So I would ask you, in all fairness to the Word of God, does your life show that allegiance to Christ of being a true follower? Albert Barnes said, if we're ashamed of him here, he'll be ashamed of us there. That is, if we reject and disown him here, he will reject and disown us there. You ever read Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan? He saw a lot of people who tried to climb over another way They weren't true disciples. He saw some who gave up and went back. They weren't true disciples. He met those who fell away. I was reading in a book called Basic Christianity, and the author of that said this, large numbers of people have covered themselves with a decent, thin veneer of Christianity. He goes on to say, they have allowed themselves to become somewhat involved, enough to be respectable, but not enough to be uncomfortable. Their religion is is great soft cushion. 
It protects them from the hard unpleasantness of life while changing its place and shape to suit their convenience. That's well said. I would remind you as we start to wrap this up, we're servants. We're not masters. We get that mixed up. It de deteriorates. It's a barrier to ministry. When I have to give my email out, one of them is PSH, my initials, 4K1W. And you can see people kind of, that means four kids, one wife. Please don't get that mixed up. Okay. <laughs> Listen, when, when we say, you know, I, I, I know that I'm a servant, but today I feel like a master. We need to repent of that. In many places around the world, there are people that are meeting at great threat, at great cost. I wrote down a partial list of either hostile fields or closed fields where there are Christians, but it would cost you dearly. You ready for my partial list? Mali, Maldives, Malaysia, Mauritania, Morocco, and Myanmar. I was stuck in the M's today. That's just a partial list that I'm telling you, for us to gather here would bring down the wrath of our government, would mean that people would turn you in. In some of those countries that I mentioned, to have a Bible is not, is not against the law. In fact, they may even sell them at the bookstores, but nobody can, nobody can uh, afford it. We live in an age right now where people know the, the name Alexei Navalny. And I, I have no problem with somebody who's a dissident and speaks out against a tyrannical form of government. But you know what? How many people know the name Georgie Vince? Now, he's been with the Lord for, for a few years. You know, Russians who didn't spend a couple years in jail and then get killed for a political cause, people who spent four or five generations in hard labor. And Georgie Vins, you read his books, and he'll tell you about other pastors who he saw who were beaten and broken and died, forgotten about, except by the Lord. And their short life ended ignominiously, and then they were received up into glory and rewarded. Did you know that right now, or a couple years ago, Putin passed a law that anybody who received your theological training outside of Russia, which is probably a good idea, outside of Russia needs to have a special education about Russia before you're allowed to come in the country. See, that sounds kind of suspicious. <laughs> Listen, what the Lord wants is what the world needs and it's a committed courageous christian shining brightly let me say it again what the world needs most is what the lord wants for us to shine brightly they don't need another country club church they don't need another believer who keeps it to himself monday through saturday we are to proclaim christ a couple weeks ago we had communion. We said we proclaim his death till he come. By, by even participating in that Lord's Supper, we proclaim Christ. 
But it's not enough to do so within the walls of the ministry center. Pastor, I failed. In my Bible reading, I did a lot of reading this week about Peter. Peter failed. The Lord also called him to feed my sheep. The Lord also restored Peter, used Peter. Aren't you glad that we can come to church and sit among other failures? <laughs> Look to the person next to you. They dropped the ball this week too. But we can be forgiven in Christ and used of God and set our hearts on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. And then we have, I think we do have one song to close in. Lord, keep us from a message of cheap grace that leaves off sacrifice and commitment and discipleship. This morning we gather here, our desire is not to live with you just for all eternity, but to live for you here now. As we just read in this adulterous and sinful generation, the church is not to insulate ourselves from any being around the unsaved. We are to infiltrate the enemy and spread the good news of Jesus Christ. So help us to submit everything to your lordship. Make us to make daily choices that show we are fit for the kingdom because we put our hand to the plow and don't look back. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Nothing about our interest or our affections is ever independent of that. Our purpose is to show your priority, your glory, your call. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.